What's up there, my essential people? Uh, welcome to another episode of The Essential 11. And as always, we are brought to you by Acton Academy and Acton Academy Placer. Um, had a lot of fun on this episode here. Today's guest is a man by the name of Connor Boyick. Um, so Connor had uh, served as president of the Libertas Institute, which is a Utah-based uh, think tank focused a lot on property rights, personal freedom, free markets, justice, and due process, uh, limited and open government, things like that. But uh, in addition to that, he's also the author of what is now 11 books called the Tuttle Twins series. Um, amazing books. We have them here in our Acton library. I have uh, copies of uh, 10 of the 11 at home as well. The 11th just came out, so I'll be grabbing that one as well. So um, super interesting conversation. Really, really smart guy. And uh, as you'll hear, a whole lot of mutual friends too. So enjoy this episode with Mr. Connor Boyack. And we are live with Mr. Connor Boyack. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, man. And so we're just talking. There's no zombies yet out there in, in Utah, so you're doing okay? Not not yet. That's the operative word. We're still watching out the window to make yeah, sure nothing good. gets yeah. worse. <laughs> That's awesome. So when we were talking about some mutual friends, of course, in the, in the, uh, in the Acton Network, and I think all of us kind of come around uh, what I believe is, is really our favorite F word and, and that's freedom. And I think that's yep. where all of us kind of have this mutual kinship, um, which is really cool, which is, you know, made me really excited to be able to, to, to bring you on here, man. Well, I think, I think why, uh, as we look throughout history, there've all, there have always been crises. There's always been economic turmoil and stuff. Yep. And so I think there's no better time than right now where there's a lot of uncertainty and skepticism and nervousness to really stand firm on those principles and help people understand the lessons of the past so we can apply them to the present and the future. Man, so I'm, could, I'm optimistic. Could not have said that any better. So tell people about, if anybody doesn't know, um, kind of your background from, from Libertas to the Tuttle Twins and yeah. maybe give everybody kind of the origin story of what you've got going on. So very briefly, my origin story is that I was kind of your average uh, conservative Republican who had no idea what that meant. I yeah. went through college. <laughs> I was a web developer. I hated school. I, I did poorly in it. Um, after I graduated college, I found that I had all this free time. And for the first time in my life, I had the mental energy to focus on the things I wanted to learn rather than what other people told me I needed to learn. And I was very much a pump and dump kind of student, right? Like I'll learn what I need to memorize it, take the test and then dump it out of my brain. Mm -hmm. I don't need this anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I started reading a lot and um, that led to a uh, really stimulated intellectual curiosity when I had the educational freedom to pursue what I wanted. And so that led to just reading a ton on my free time. It led to blogging, to share what I was learning about, which led to writing books, which led to starting a think tank to actually trying to persuade others and, and change the world around me, uh, which then led to, you know, as I had children, I wanted to teach my children these ideas yes. and I couldn't find anything out there to help me do it. And so we came up with the Tuttle Twins. I love it, man. How old are your kiddos? So they are now 10 and eight. They okay. were five and three when we got this, uh, the Teletron started. When you guys got ago. started. Okay, yeah. got it. So, and mine are very similar. So I got nine, seven, and four. Okay. Um, so cool. Very similar age. And, and so, and all of them have been reading they've read every single uh Tuttle required Twins. reading right? it's required reading that's right and it's required re i mean we have i couldn't tell you how many parents came to me just to, even as we started launching act in plaster two and said hey for you know we want to donate books to the library and i had probably 10 12 different parents just right from the get-go say hey do you have a set of the Tuttle twins books in there because we need to get that in into the acton library there that's right um, so yeah it was it's super cool and, and so many people that are uh, so pumped about it, and so many people that i've talked to um just from all different facets that you know what you said was educational freedom 
Yeah. And, and that's become something that we really haven't given a, enough thought to for a long time there, but we've done this whole pump and dump method, man. And so, you know, we're starting sure. to see more of this push towards the educational, you know, this educational freedom. I, uh, I think it's really interesting right now where you have basically millions of homeschooling families, right? Yeah. And, and I think a lot of them are schooling at home, yep. right? They're trying to replicate public school in the home. And so they're getting burned out because they're yeah, seeing they that for every child, they have a different set of lessons, activities, home, and one parent having to remotely try and work from home and keep their job, a lot of yes. that, and then trying to be a different teacher for each different child, it's causing a lot of burnout. And so um, I've, uh, I wrote a book a few years ago called Passion Driven Education, and it's yep. all about how to leverage a child's interests to have that be the hook through which we expose them to all the classical subjects. So rather than me t uh, talking to my kid about biology, what like he's really interested in horses and I just teach him about horses. Forget the, the, you know, the anatomy exactly. of, a, uh, of, you know, what's in a cell and mitochondria and all yeah, no, just help yeah. him understand horses. Cause he really likes horses. And through that, he can learn biology through that. He can learn history. What, what horses were used by conquering empires of yesteryear. And suddenly you've got this little hook into history where in his mind, he's just learning about horses and he's, he's learning more about something he's curious about anyway. So I wrote this book a few years ago you know, when in all this and, and it's just spreading like wildfire now because yep. you got all these parents who are like, what the heck do I do? How do I do this? I've never been a teacher to my kids before. So I, I wonder coming out of this, if groups like Acton and others, we're going to see an uptick of people who realize, wait a minute, like the way we've been doing this for a long yeah. time, forever, maybe we ought to question that. Maybe we don't need that status quo anymore. It's so funny, man. And yes, so many, I've, I've had no joke, no less than, I'll say no less than 50 either individual parents um, traditional, I still have a lot of, you know, friends who are, who are teachers in the in traditional school system. And I've had mm -hmm. teachers, I've had administrators, I've had superintendents of districts that have reached out to me in the last two weeks. And all of them are saying the same thing. Hey, we don't know what we're doing. We're trying to go this whole virtual thing, or we're trying to teach at home. If it's a parent, you know, we have no idea why are the acting kids transitioning so well. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, it's not the idea. We'd love to have, you know, there's a magic where, where everybody's on campus and doing things. We'd love to have it like that. But they're going, why are these kids transitioning? I'm like, well, it's not a, a whole crazy lot different for them because they are self-directed, because they right. are passion driven, because they understand, um, you know, kind of how to create a schedule and, and to just deal with what you're saying. Like, look at those hooks and then go, you know, parents like, I, I don't know how to be a teacher. I'm like, but you know how to be a learner. How do you right. learn anything right now? You don't go, okay, well, I've got to go down the specific standard. You take your interest. And, and that is the hook that kind of leads you through so much more. Totally. You know? But we've just been trained not to do that. Yeah. You know? And I, I'm hopeful that this experience will just be that, that little hook for families to start to realize there, there's different ways to do this. Not everyone's going to homeschool. Not everyone's sure. going to go to a private school or sure. an, an academy or anything else. But yep. Just the mere exposure of this experience, I think, is going to cause some, some you know, questioning of, of the status quo, which I think is healthy just in general. That's a healthy thing in general. Yep, just a, a mindset shift. And like you said, just a questioning. You know, one of the things that our mutual friend Jeff always says is, is good questions are infinitely better than, than good answers. And I couldn't agree more. You know, I think that's how it gets the conversation started. Yep. So good, man. So, you know, I was telling you, we got these 11 questions and, and, um, you know, these are coming from youth ages 13 to 22. So we had 1500 of them that put these in. And so no right or wrong. It's just kind of your take on all these questions and, and whatever you'd have to say to all these. So, um, cool. first one is literally just kind of, it's about inspiration. So in your journey, you kind of went from that pump and dump into figuring things out and going, wait a second, I've got a lot to offer the world. And here's kind of what, um, you know, I want my message to be. So kind of along that track, who are maybe one or two people that you can Considered to be 
mentors or people that kind of inspire you that you look up to? So um, I'll answer this in the political context and then in the educational context. So in the political context, I was watching a documentary, I believe it was 2005 or six. It had just come out uh, by the late Aaron Russo called America, Freedom to Fascism. And his documentary was kind of an, his analysis of how these, these ideals of early America and the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, have just been on a decline for two centuries and, and how things are in tatters today. And uh, I was kind of new to a lot of the, my political beliefs. I was still kind of in the learning mode of, of trying to understand the world around me. And I remember in the documentary, there was this old guy who just seemed to make a lot of sense that I'd never heard before. And his name was Ron Paul. And so yeah, I, yeah. I Googled Ron Paul and uh, watched a bunch of videos of, you know, his, he was a congressman at the time. And so yep. I was watching C-SPAN uh, stuff. I, I started reading his books and he introduced me uh, through his writing and stuff to a bunch of other, you know, political and economic thinkers. And so he was kind of my gateway to go down the rabbit hole and learn a lot of this stuff. And so I yeah, credit yeah. Ron Paul substantially with my own kind of exposure to the ideas of liberty and helping me get on the path that I am now. Right. In an educational context, um, <clears throat> I have to credit a lot of this, uh, a lot of my thinking to John Taylor Gatto. Yeah. Uh, so for those who don't know, and he actually just passed away last year. He did. Uh, John was a public school teacher for nearly 30 years in New York. And he uh, was kind of a, a, a different thinker. <laughs> and he uh, would do things a bit differently in his classroom, but it was all in a public school context. And he was an award-winning teacher. He got New York City Teacher of the Year. In fact, the very year in which he wrote, uh, excuse me, when he was awarded the New York State Teacher of the Year of all the public school uh, teachers, he wrote an op-ed that year in the Wall Street Journal titled, uh, I Quit, I Think, in the which he lays out all the problems with public school, how he's been trying to work from within the system, but how inevitably he thinks that he's harming more children, he and the system he's a part of, is, uh, or was a part of, is harming children more than helping them. And that, so he's going to quit. And, and he's like, if you know of a profession that'll let me help, help kids without hurting them, please let me know. I'm, I'm going to be out of a job here pretty soon. He right. quits in this national yep. newspaper, yep. this award-winning teacher, goes on a public speaking circuit, r writes a bunch of books. So his book, Dumbing Us Down, The yeah. hidden, uh, uh, hidden Agenda of Compulsory Schooling, something like that, yep. uh, was instrumental for me before I had kids and saying, yes, this I agree with these problems. As a public school uh, graduate myself, I want to help my children avoid these pitfalls so that they can thrive even more in the future. And so he, he ended up actually writing the foreword for the book I mentioned earlier that I wrote, Passion Driven Education. Oh, so good. And, uh, and so, uh, in fact, he's a character in one of our Tuttle Twins books now. Um, and so oh, awesome. um, he, he was just very influential for me in trying to understand some of the problems with conventional schooling, the, the individuals involved in setting it up, uh, the Horace Manns and John yep. Dewey's and yep. these very progressive thinkers and why they wanted public education to be structured the way it is. Um, so it was very eye-opening for me to kind of go down, again, that rabbit hole. One of our mutual heroes right there. Um, you know, I, dumbing us down, weapons of mass instruction, seven lessons, school teacher. I mean, so many things that he wrote when, you know, I was um, kind of going through this journey in traditional systems and I was in the public schools and public school teacher, public school administrator and going, man, okay, this is not, you know, this is not connecting. This isn't, this is not about kids. I'm making an impact here, but I'm being told I've got to do this. And these things aren't matching up. Right. And so yep. went to the private sector thinking that that's better because we can make our own rules and realizing that they traditionally just kind of copy what's going on in the other traditional system, you know? And so that's when I really found 
um, JT's work and, and started going down that rabbit hole. And that was, you know, he was one of the people that was very instrumental for me too, of stepping away. Um, and then obviously Jeff, you know, uh, it was great when I got to connect with Acton and see, look, this is the kind of stuff I've been talking about. Yeah. Um, he was one of those people that's, that was absolutely instrumental as was, um, did you ever read Seth Godin's, uh, manifesto there, stop stealing dreams. Yep. Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Um, he's a, he's a future guest here on the, on the podcast. Oh, that's well. awesome. that was an, yeah. It's another, he one. also, he also endorsed my uh, passion driven education book. So very like-minded people here. Right. I'm a very big much fan. so man. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, man, I bet we know a lot of this. So Isaac Morehouse. Yep. Um, I'm sure uh, you know, Isaac and, and, yep. uh, you know, Chris Roofer at all. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Roofer is one of my, I mean, one of my, I talked to him out. a couple days ago. So did I. Yeah. So I talked, <laughs> I talked to him almost, I mean, we talk all the time. He's That's here. Local. He's one of my, um, one of my dearest friends and mentors here That's um, awesome. in business in general. So yeah. So a lot of, a whole lot of mutual, mutual friends are, it's very cool. I'll, I'll share with you a very brief Chris story that many of your listeners won't relate, it. but it's funny. Nonetheless, when we did our first total twins book, okay. um, there, if, if you're familiar with it on the front, the twins are holding a jar of tomatoes. And it's part of the story where it's kind of an object lesson and tomatoes are part of that story. Well, I was at this conference and someone walked up to me and he says, hey, why did you put tomatoes uh, on the cover? I'm like, oh, it's just what we thought of as part of the story. He hands me a business card that has tomatoes on it. And he's there like, you go for I think you star. want to talk to my boss, Chris. You know, So that's how we kind of struck up the relationship was how because cool. of mutual love of tomatoes. For those who don't know, Chris Roofer is a very successful you know, tomato grower and producer out in California and, and a very a good friend of Liberty. So small world. Very much so. Yeah. And he's just a great guy. He actually was one of the first people that I talked to when we were getting acting up and running um, all together and then sat down and had lunch. And, and so this is four or five years ago and just, start, you know, struck up a friendship now. And cool. And um, he's been uh, yeah an amazing mentor and amazing partner here for what we're doing uh, awesome. at acting too. So yeah, an amazing guy. How cool, man. I love that. So um, question number two, goes into the concept of, of self-confidence. And that's obviously something on the mind of a young person, especially on the younger side, as they're trying to figure out who am I and kind of going through all of this. And um, so what's kind of your journey through, you know, you said you're kind of this pump and dump and kind of like, ah, I'm not really, you know, digging school. It kind of went and figured out, okay, educational freedom. Now I'm starting to see who I am and what I want to do. What does the kind of the confidence journey look like for you individually as far as self-confidence? Is that something you kind of always had? Is it something you had to develop? Um, yeah. Is it something you feel like you currently have? Now, that's a great question. I think when I started blogging about what I was learning when I was going through my own kind of path of discovery, it was really an outlet for me just to share with others what I was learning. But I, I wrote very poorly you know, I didn't know how to write persuasively at all. Um, and what what did it for me was when my blog started to get a readership, when when people started paying attention to what I was writing and saying, oh, hey, that's interesting, share more. I look forward to your next book review. Or, yeah. you know, we would debate something. And, you know, as people, I mean, social media is a great help with this now. Sure. You, you basically have the ability to immediately publish your thoughts to the world, which can be very daunting. Um, and for me, it was, a, it was a feedback loop where I would publish this stuff and I would get, you know, people push back. And it's, it's against resistance that we form muscles, right? Like if we're, if we're just apathetic all the time, we're never going to develop strength. And so the fact that my blog, you know, a decade and a half ago started to get dialogue and debate, this was before, you know, Facebook debates and everything else. Yep. We, we had these discussions going and I realized people were poking holes in my arguments. And so I started to have to discover what are logical fallacies, right? And, and yeah. like, how, do I, how do I counter this? And how do I better explain what I'm trying to do? So what I'm trying to say is when my thoughts and opinions were subject to scrutiny, 
I went through a period of internal kind of reflection and and uh, development where I started to have to really focus. In school, I never had to do this, right? Like you were right. never really challenged. They would pat you on the head. Great. You filled out the form. You wrote an essay. The teacher isn't going to attack you or criticize you. Right. Maybe they'll correct a few things with a red pen, but off you go to the next assignment. Yep. So I never really had that experience of having to defend my ideas, having them subject to others, like a clash of, of ideas. So when I got out into the quote unquote real world, and I experienced that, I realized, oh my gosh, I need to like learn how to communicate better. I need to learn how to have more confidence to your yeah. point in the ideas that I believe. Am I, am I really, uh, am I really correct here? Or are, are these ideas really correct? Can I be confident in these ideas? And so not only my ability to communicate the ideas, but I had to go study economics and politics and philosophy and all these things. What was nice for me is I had the motivation to do so because suddenly I was confronted with a different idea that, that, clashed with my own worldview or appeared to um, undermine my argument. And so I was now mo personally motivated to go dig in and find, well, are they right? Or, am I, you know, is the data that I had right? Or what's the difference here? Um, and so it was really just being able to have that debate, discussion, dialogue. So good. That encouraged me to go um, strengthen my position yeah. by doing the research, learning how to communicate well, um, doing it diplomatically. This isn't always sure. to be, oh, I'm right, you're wrong sure. kind of thing. And I did go through a personal period where I was more interested in being right rather than, you know, persuading and having good dialogue and, and yeah. doing so diplomatically. But I do think those periods of resistance can be very strengthening for us to develop our own abilities and our own uh, thought process. Well, I love process. That you, what you said, where the, the resistance is what creates the strength. And, and you've got to have the willingness to allow that resistance to take place. You know, and what you're, what you're mentioning about traditional schools, you're right, there's a rubric that is that is handed to you. It's a rubric and it's just check off all these boxes and you're going to get your A. You know, check off all the boxes and, and you're going to be okay. But what happens is you outsource your thought. You're just trying to play that game rather than saying, look, here's an original thought and then go ahead and poke holes in that. And then let's have a discussion around that. And you can't, you know, you're right. You get more concerned about getting the right answer um, than, than any kind of real actual discourse um, right. that's actually going to make you better. And, and you know, and that's, makes all the difference in the world. I love that. Um, I mean, it was made me think too, in, in the course of the conversation, one of the episodes that we have coming out that we just recorded, um, John Stossel. Um, mm -hmm. And John was saying he doesn't feel like he is a very self-confident person and that he actually used um, editing as his tool Hmm. to you know for a lot of these interviews and, and he obviously you know 19 emmys or whatever so he's a he's a professional communicator but he says yeah he said i don't even think i'm very good at that everything was kind of pre-cut and already done he's like I, that's something i still need to get so much better at um, yeah which is super interesting but you're right we can do a good job of of eliminating that right from the get-go if we'll allow this real discourse and be able to take take that feedback. We get it in sports. Sometimes if the parents will let us at this point, you know, I had some coaches that were very, very adamant about, look, you've got some severe holes in your game, your mindset, your mentality. And I'm going to tell you in a very, you know, very colorful fashion, um, where you need to change. But even that we don't let that happen enough anymore, you know? So totally agreed. Yeah. Um, question number three stems around, um, just kind of keeping anxiety at bay. So is there anything that, at this point, it still kind of makes you anxious. Is there any kind of opportunity, anything that you're doing in, you know, whether it's in your day-to-day, -day, in your career that you're like, oh, get a little anxiety around it? And if so, how do you kind of push, push through that's, that? That's a great question. Um, I, I, 
once you do anything a, a while, you gain more confidence, right? Sure. I think it's through repetition that confidence comes in, muscle memory develops and so forth. And so in my life right now, a lot of what I'm doing is just a continuation of things I've done previously. So in my life now, I have less anxiety. But when I first start, like when I started a think tank, I had no manual to do this. There was no one, you know, who like, what if donors, you know, people won't donate? Uh, right. What if the media attacks me? What if the elected officials I'm trying to persuade, you know, laugh me out the door? Um, what if I'm too young? I mean, I, I was very young when I started this. Yeah. Uh, half the reason I grew a beard is so that I'd look a little look older. older. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, you you're, know, not, I mean, you're not an older, for anybody that's listening doesn't know, you're not an old guy. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm older than you. I'm 30, uh, I'm 38 right now. And so okay, I was, yeah, 40, I, so yeah. I think yeah. I was like 29 when yeah. I started a think tank and like, who am I to sure. go tell oh. other people what to do? You know, so there are a lot of anxieties like that. Okay, I'm now publishing a book. Um, is anyone going to buy this thing? Or, you know, is it, uh, is there going to be a typo? Right? Like we all go through these things. Yeah. Um, to me, the, the greatest thing that I've learned is kind of the, the Mark Zuckerberg style of, of development. Just build fast, make mistakes, learn as you go. Um, when I started to realize that I would make mistakes and that's okay, they were no longer this debilitating impediment that prevented yep. me from getting out the door. Yeah. What I realized was important was just to get out the door. Momentum is critical because you can pivot as you go, oh, I got to step this way. I, I got to go around this obstacle. But if you have momentum, you can keep going. And it took me a while to learn that, to realize that what was most important to me was that momentum. Just start doing things. You'll make yeah. mistakes, but you're going to be far superior. Not that it's competition, but no one else is really going out there and driving, you know, Most and being a leader. And, right, right, right. And so better to act and make mistakes and learn and improve than to not act for fear of making a mistake. And so, especially with that momentum that. now, you, you know, you're on that trajectory, you, you learn from the mistakes of the past, you have a more solid course going forward. And I, I am at a point in my life now where I have less anxiety because there's predictability through past experience. I right. know how things will go. I know if I publish a Tuttle Twins book, I'm going to sell X number of copies, yep. you know, and things are going to go well. I, I have a model to kind of analyze what I'm doing. In those early days, though, I didn't. But, but to me, that just action was better than inaction, uh, even, even if I was going to make mistakes. So good, man. I think that's great. We had, so I was just, we were talking offline and we just had the, uh, the owner's conference for, for the Actons around the world. And so we all gathered in, at, a, at a hotel in Austin for a couple of days and super intense, um, you know, two days and you come out of there and your brain feels like a blender. And, uh, <laughs> but I mean, but it was, it was fantastic. And we were just talking about how to create more flagship um, locations. And so what we just mean by flagship locations is just locations that are really shifting the culture, you know, in, in the, the proximity around them. They're really getting people to take notice of what Acton is doing and what we're talking about and kind of our principles yeah. um, in general. And I was um, super honored by Jeff to be able to, to ask, to be asked to keynote the the conference. And so oh, I nice. got to keynote that and kind of talk to that. And that was one of the, one of the things that I talked about was the fact that speed kills. And I see a lot of these owners, we've got this amazing forum where we're connecting virtually on a daily basis, um, you know, and just sharing ideas and, and going back and forth. And the owners that I see that ask, um, ask a question and then second guess, and they ask it again, and then they kind of try, but then they go back to ask again, like sometimes, ask, get an idea, but then go, you got to pull the trigger, you know, and I, I yep. it was all about that momentum and speed kills. And I kind of used the, um, an analogy of the Super Bowl this year, you know, you had these two teams 
the the Niners and the Chiefs, and it looked like their you know players all were wearing jetpacks. Like these guys are just a bunch of athletes, and speed, 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 and speed changed the game. And it's that's yeah. very much like that um, for a lot of things. It's taking action and just going and just going. Speed and momentum. So I love that you brought that up. Hey guys, sorry for the quick interruption. Just a reminder, man, reviews, 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 please review, share the message. We want to drive subscribers so we can bring more value to more people and we can bring scholarships to the young folks out here in Sacramento. Thanks guys. Back to the episode. Any kind of, so number four kind of switches it a little bit to any kind of um, physical disciplines. Obviously we're in this kind of a, a funky here situation where everybody's talking about physical health now. And, and I think that's a conversation that can always really be on the table, but um, anything physical disciplines for you, whether it's like physical habits that you have, um, something that you've, you know, taken on in terms of like exercise, nutrition, you know, kind of what are your thoughts on that altogether? It's pretty ambiguous. My, my wife is the exercise buff of the family. Is she? All right. Yeah. yeah now, now that all the gyms are closed, she's like, Connor, you're going to be my workout buddy. I'm oh, like, that's oh. awesome. <laughs> all right. So yeah. I, I literally, as you asked that question, I was trying to stifle a chuckle because I was pulling my ankle, stretching my leg yeah. Because she was having me do all these squats. And, That's hilarious. And I, yeah, it looked like you were doing sore. like calf raises or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, am, I am sore right now. So, That's so no, funny. it's uh, you know, physical health is critical. More more so in my mind for the fact that we need physical health to maintain our mental health. And yes, if you that. are you know overweight, lazy, sick, whatever, you're not going to have the mental ability to act. Let alone for many people's professions and and so forth, you need yep. the physical ability to act as well. In mine, not so much. I could sit behind a computer all day long and still be productive. And so I don't need a lot of movement, but I do need mental energy. Um, a, apart from just that, which I think is obvious, I think we all know that the importance of nutrition and exercise. Sure. But to me, um, what I always strive to do is to um, have my subconscious working overtime. I am always um, like in, in the shower, I have this, uh, it's like a shower pad, it's a waterproof shower pad, so I can yep. jot notes down. I always use Siri. I'm like, hey, Siri, remind me this or send me an email. Yeah. The moment I get thoughts, I always write them down because I'm always trying to make sure, even if I'm with my family or whatever, that right before I left work, I'm thinking about a project that I'm now shelving. I'm, I'm not consciously thinking about, but randomly two hours later while we're playing a board game as a family, something will percolate up to my consciousness. Yep. I'll go jot the note down so I can take action on it later and then return to, to the family activity. Um, and so in my mind, what I have found the most um, productivity in is, and it actually has come through a sacrifice. A lot of people have the quote unquote work-life balance and part of life is all their different hobbies. And, and that's fantastic. I'm not here to knock any of that. Sure. For me personally, what I have, uh, the, my, the way my you know, uh, life and personality is structured is I've basically sacrificed everything else to focus full-time on doing what I do now. It is my passion. It is my love apart from family, church, and all the other kind of typical obligations. Yep. I don't really have many hobbies. I don't spend a lot of time playing video games. I don't, you know, go to the movies a lot. Yeah. I don't go, you know, watch a ton of sports. I want to make sure that all the free time I have, um, reasonably so, obviously you can burn out, but sure. um, I, I dedicate as much time as possible to um, the cause of freedom, to free markets, to writing these books, to connecting with people. And so uh, to me, that just is an investment of mental energy of, of yeah. I don't work nine to five and turn off my brain and go do other stuff. To me, it's a life calling what yeah. I'm involved in. And so I want to make sure that I am, I'm pursuing that accordingly and treating it, um, as it as if it is a life calling since that's how I consider it. And so that does come through sacrifice of some other things. But I think um, the things that we do sacrifice for 
uh, we can be richly rewarded because we are applying ourselves in such so a dedicated true. fashion. So true, man. I love that you said that. Again, there's a lot of like-minded. I mean, that's exactly, I feel like I'm on, on a mission um, with what I'm doing. And so free time ends up being everything to perpetuate this mission. Yeah. Um, fully get that. And so talking about um, kind of free, this is actually a great segue into number five too. And, you know, you mentioned free markets and obviously that's, um, you know, an underlying um, backbone to what we're talking about here in the total twins books. And so the question number five, uh, really stems from the fact that the youth are saying, look, we're not getting real world financial advice and, and especially not good advice, um, in traditional schooling systems. And so they're saying, Hey, you know, whoever, whoever the operator is, what is a piece of financial advice that you would give, you know, to the young people, 13 to 22. Now, I mean, I think for you, it could be like, Hey, take a look at the entire book series. But, um, you know, <laughs> if you had anything that, that stuck out and we just read, what did we just read? Yes. Uh, it was either yesterday or the day before we read, um, Jekyll Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we're going through that and we were talking about the businesses and the business fair for, for my girls coming up. And, you know, we postponed that a little bit because of this whole, uh, sure. Corona core deal, ordeal. But, um, so what would you say? What was kind of, what's kind of your favorite, your favorite topic right now in the financial realm for the kiddos? So, so I, um, what really changed the game for me was actually when I started writing and selling the Tuttle Twins books, it was the first time in my life where I was being compensated because I get a small royalty for each book and the rest sure. of it goes to our organization. Uh, but that incremental amount can add up over time. And I was starting to see all these sales come in and I had hired people to do all the fulfillment and all, all kind of the supply chain, everything else was taken care of. And right. here I was having all these sales come in and bit by bit, I was getting a little bit of money for doing nothing. The work was already done. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't the hand to mouth hourly wage. I had been, you know, every teenage job, I worked with Einstein brother bagels and target and everything, yeah. you know, all the, all your rite of passage, you're earning, you know, eight bucks an hour, 10 bucks yep. an hour, whatever. And it was the first time in my life where I realized the power of passive income. And so what I'm trying to teach my children right now is finding little things that they can do that can generate passive income. It's a little e-commerce business. It's, a, you know, like a, a thought commerce thing. You write a little ebook. you, you know, teach other kids how to start a business. You write an ebook and you sell it for $5 and, you yep. know, that gets out there and you start making money when the work's already done. So in my life, as I look back at the lesson that I want to give to Connor earlier on is, you know, we, we have far more freedom, far more ability to act and do the things we want to when we are financially independent, when we have the ability to diversify our income. And so many people grow up thinking it's nine to five, it's hand to mouth, it's paycheck to paycheck. And that's all well and good. And many people are stuck and need that. And, and there's no reason to knock that. But there's a step above that for those who can achieve it. And that is to develop multiple streams of income, find ways to maintain or generate passive income so that you are then freed up to act on things that really matter. Maybe you go take two weeks off and do, you know, a couple's therapy retreat with your wife because, you know, things are unstable and you have the financial ability to do that and really dive deep in your marriage. Maybe it's taking your kids on vacation. Maybe it's playing board games all day long with your kids because you don't have to go into work that day. Just the ability to, to have that independence is going to improve so many other facets of your life. And so that is a lesson that no one taught me growing up. It was always just get a job. Yep. And um, now for the first time, I'm saying, holy cow, like making money without having to do any work <laughs> along it's, the way is just phenomenal. And not a, a lot of people deal. learn about it. Yeah. yeah, I remember, I mean, really, I think rich dad, poor dad, right? Kiyosaki, I mean, yep. that was really the first time that, because again, I had, yeah, same thing. I'd never been really exposed to that. Um, I, you know, I had a couple of friends growing up who their parents owned businesses. And I'm like, oh, cool. You guys obviously have a lot of money and it doesn't seem like you ever go to work, but it's still never, <laughs> str- you know, it's still never struck. Doesn't click. Yeah. Yeah. And until I read Robert's book and I'm like, okay, I, I get that. And it was cool. I, 
we had a guest on last week named Gary Collins, um, and that's another episode that'll be coming out. And it was cool. He was talking about a similar kind of thing as far as financial freedom, and it was a good reminder too. I think we hear financial freedom and we think, oh, okay, well then we've got the. It means you've got the yacht and you've got the mansion. You've got. He's like, no, it just means that you've got more money coming in than you need to live. And if you keep your expenses modest too, and you keep your lifestyle modest, it doesn't even need to be in this extravagant amount. Right. And what it's doing is exactly what you're talking about is it gives you back your time. I mean, yep. that's, that's really what it is. Um, so, you know, we're looking at that passive that so you're giving back your time. Um, yeah, I love that, man. I think that's great. Um, so we're talking a lot about work and putting in the work and hard work. And so question number six is around hard work. And um, I think that sometimes can be hard to define thing. But if you've got somebody that is coming to work for you, uh, and it's a young, young person, maybe they just graduated from from high school, maybe they made a mistake and accidentally went to college. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, they, but they're coming to work for you. What do you want to see from that individual? So I employ about a dozen people, um, actually a few more than that, and uh, part-time as well, but about a dozen people. Uh, I interview a lot of people. Uh, right now we're hiring for a position. I've got a lot of college graduate type people yep. uh, applying. Um, I, I hired a personal assistant for the first time uh, last year, and she sits down in the interview and sheep, sheepishly says, um, well... I, I didn't actually graduate from college. I dropped out halfway, but then I saw online that you wrote a book called Skip College. That's <laughs> and awesome. Then I, yeah. and, then I thought, and then I thought maybe that's okay. I'm like, that's actually okay, a plus good. in my book. Yeah. yeah. Isaac Morehouse, who you mentioned, uh, sure. contributed a chapter to that book. Obviously, he's, he's one of the foremost thought leaders on that issue. Yep. Um, so in my mind, what I most look for, it's exactly what Isaac preaches, and that is having a portfolio. I don't yeah. care about your GPA. I don't care about a piece of paper saying you sat at a desk for a long time. What I want to see is innovative thinking. I want to see uh, creative action. I want to see people. So right now, for example, the position we're hiring for is for a policy analyst working on local government issues. And one of the candidates said like, yeah, here's all the, like I graduated college and I did all these yep. internships. But she's like, I attend city council meetings for fun. And I'm like, huh. Okay, like immediately that stands out because sure. she is applying herself in these, this specific area far and above just getting the piece of paper. Yep, so now I'm thinking, doing. well, why, why do you do that? What drives you yeah. to do that? What have you learned? What relationships have you developed along yep. the way? This is really interesting to me. Yep. I want to talk to this person. Now. So to me, it's, it's the portfolio. When I graduated college, I was a web, a web developer for about a, a decade before I switched and, and ended up doing what I'm doing now. When I was hired for my first job, they didn't care at all what my degree is. Didn't ask about it, yep. wasn't relevant, they couldn't care less. What they sat me down and had me do was a little working examples of coding HTML and CSS and some of these uh, different processes to see if I knew how to do things. They wanted to see a, port a literal portfolio of my work. What websites have you built? We wanna be able to look at what you can accomplish. And so um, to, to everyone else out there who is going to college, isn't going to college, you got to develop that portfolio. You got to demonstrate your abilities. Um, I love what Isaac preaches, right? Like yeah. if I had someone come to me and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm less than experienced, but I'm very driven and I'm very aligned with your business. I want to work for you for free for two months yep. and I'm going to prove to you that I'm a value add. This. I would be blown away. And what's going to happen? Um, First of all, the younger person can take on more risk because they're typically working from home or their expenses are low. And so right. when you're young, you can do more of this. They come on board, they start working and, and creating value. They start developing institutional knowledge and then that creates pain 
for me as an employer. What do I mean by that? I mean, it would be painful to let that person go at the end of their two month unpaid, whatever, and have to hire someone else and interview people, put out, you know, filters. I don't want to do any of that. That is painful. I have other things to do. So this person has now privileged themselves in my mind, provided that they follow through and they're competent and so forth. Right. Exactly. Um, all of a sudden, like I'd be stupid not to just give that person the job and let them keep, they've got relationships with everyone in the office. Everyone loves that. You know what I mean? Like, that is what we need way more of. And so any young person would be crazy not to pursue that recommendation and exploit that time in your life when you can take on more risk. And, and, and Isaac's full of good ideas. Go read all of his stuff. You can Absolutely. grab our book, Skip College. His chapter yep. in there is phenomenal with really just kind of a guide plan. Like here is specifically what you want to do. You want to email these people. Here's what you want to say. Here's what you want to plan to do. Here's how you follow through. And it's just a, a literal guidebook for young people to say, here's how I'm going to go succeed in the marketplace. It's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. And I've read it and it's, it's great stuff. And, and I fully believe that, um, you know, as students that are coming through any of the acting programs, we have kind of this apprenticeship badge. It's a little 100 page process of things that to, to go through and read and to understand, but then to start to apply. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing as far as getting yourself an internship or an apprenticeship at a very young age. I fully believe they go through that they go through your book they go through the understanding of Isaac's stuff that that far away will set them up and parents you know there's still the, the parents that are still fearful of, of things that are coming back. okay but but some companies still want you know they, they still want to see that college degree and I'm and I'm trying to tell them over and over again these last five six years I've gotten to work with about 300 different companies um, and working directly either in a keynote fashion or a consulting fashion with, with these organizations, every organization you can think of under the sun. And what I hear every single time from hiring managers, from CEOs, from presidents is that they do not care if they can see the, what you're talking about. If they can mm-hmm. see the work, they literally use the degree thing as a filtering mechanism, right? Right. Instead, yep. outside of the the area of medicine or whatever that you have to have that for legal reasons, they use it as a filtering mechanism because again, they want the less pain. They want right. less people to have to sit there and read all. They don't want to do that. They don't want right. to take time. It's a waste of time. If they can see something like that, far and away, they want to do that and save themselves some time in the process. Exactly. Everybody does. I think that's great advice, man. Um, so question number seven uh, is around discipline. So Jocko Willing says discipline equals freedom. It's one of our favorite sayings in, in my personal household. So what is something that you developed, either developed discipline around in the past or that you're currently developing discipline around doing? And it's something you didn't either didn't want to do or don't really want to do, but you know it's something you need to do to get to where you want to go. Hmm, that is a great question. Uh, for me, it is writing. I want to always be writing because writing is the driver for me to be thinking. Yeah. Um, if, if I'm writing, if I know that I've got to write a blog post or an op-ed or in my journal or whatever it is, it, it's always driving me to be curious. Like, well, what, what, what should I be thinking about? What should I be focused on? What personal habits do I need to be improving? What's happening in the economy that I need to be talking about? Who do I need to help that I need to send an email to and take some time to write a thoughtful handwritten letter to someone? If I'm, if I'm always producing, that means inevitably I need to be consuming. And it's driving me to be paying attention to the world around me, paying attention to the needs of others, thinking about how I can be a positive influence on, on the world around me. And so to me, it's always driving output. It's always making sure that that output is motivating me to be paying attention and reading and thinking about the right things so that I can be 
outputting the right things as well. I love that. I love that. It's kind of, we think about consuming so that we can put out, but you're saying you're putting out and that's allowing, it's forcing you to then have to consume. Um, and I love that thought. So this actually leads perfectly into the next question too. So as you're consuming and as we're, as we're getting all these uh, messages, paying attention to the world around you, you know, I think, um, and with the things that you're producing, it's very obvious you're paying attention to human beings, you're paying attention to human nature, you pay attention to trends and, and um, you know, kind of historical trends as well and how people behave. So number eight is, is my favorite question that they came up with. So it's all around common knowledge. And it's what do you think is a piece of common knowledge, something that everybody knows is true, but Connor goes, yeah, but it's not really true. So mm. it's common knowledge, everybody knows this is correct. And I always, I, a lot of times I'll, you know, with our guests, I'll use myself, I'll use Isaac, I'll use the, the concept of everybody's got to go to college to be successful. Right. And then everybody knows that's the truth. And, and I go, man, that's actually far from the truth. I think it's completely the opposite for most people. Mm. Um, so that is a great question. I've got like eight, eight things percolating around my head. I'm trying to figure mm. out which one to choose. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I, I would, um, <laughs> this one may or may not be on point, but I'm going to share it. So to me, um, it's this idea that there is wisdom in the status quo, kind of the traditions of our fathers, right? Yeah. We, we as a society, uh, we like to take mental shortcuts. There's actually a phenomenal book about this called Influence by Robert Cialdini talking about how we uh, always try and take these mental shortcuts, but we're, because we're trying to preserve the uh, consumption of calories in our brain. It causes us, again, pain. Yeah. Uh, we have to expend energy. And so anytime we can preserve energy by taking mental shortcuts, uh, we do that by looking at our peers and saying, what are they doing? Maybe I should just be doing what they're doing so that I don't have to think about it. Uh -huh. um, it's like when election times roll around and I get 38 people calling me because, oh, Connor, you know politics. Who should I yeah. vote for? They yeah, don't want to yeah. invest the time. So there's this cultural uh, conception of, of uh, the wisdom of our fathers, the traditions of our fathers where uh, this is the way things have always been done. And so this yeah. is the way things ought to continue to be. And to that, I say, no, no, I don't, I don't think there's any, there, there can be, but we have to critically think about it and analyze it. Otherwise we fall prey to the evils of yesteryear, right? Like yeah. it's absurd example, but it's a true example. You can think about slavery, right? This is just always the way things have been done. My dad, yep. my dad had slaves. My, you know, grandpa had slaves. This yeah. is, it's okay because we've inherited this. And I don't think that inheritance has any truth to it. I, I think we can inherit bad things as well. And so it's up to each generation to, you know, reflect and say, are we doing things right? Take public schooling, for example, for right? Sure. Like this is the way it's been done uh, for, you know, a century now. Uh, it's, it's just the way it's always been done. And well, does that mean we have to tolerate the status quo? Or um, can we be, you know, uh, uh, not contented with it and, and strive to improve it? So to me, I, I share that example, because in my life, in my profession, where I'm always trying to change things for the better. I'm always thinking how to improve, how right. to improve, how to improve. I run into so much apathy because people just accept the way things have always been done. And to that, I say, look, I'm not tr trying to discard the whole system. I'm not trying to upend everything, but it, we should we should criticize uh, or, or critically think about, not, not negatively criticize, but we should be critical about uh, what is happening and look if there's ways to improve. Right. Um, and, and it's something I clash with a lot of people with because there's this conception that like, oh, th things are fine. I, I graduated public school and I turned out just fine. So that I say, yeah, but how much better could it have been? Yeah, how much, I, how much more could you have thrived outside yep. of that system? You know? 
I, yeah, that's one of my least favorite. That's one of my least favorite arguments. And I just take it back to, I'm going, cool, man, if that, if that worked for you, then, then that's great. I got straight A's too. And, um, you know, I mean, that's, that's great. I have no desire for my kids to be fine in the way that everybody else is. Right. I have right. I want them to go ahead and be able to thrive. And if there's ways that they can do that better than a traditional school system, I'm going to go ahead and, and have them take that on. Amen. Um, and I would have wanted to do that the same, you know, that same thing. I love that you said the traditions too. I really have this concept in my head that from a micro scale traditions, plural, um, are neat, you know, family traditions. And, and again, kind of this close proximity micro, I mean, that's, that's cool. And you create these kind of family rituals and there's bonding that's associated with that. And that's great. But then when you start talking on a macro scale and tradition, um, that's a dangerous place because you're right. It gets us right to the, well, this is yeah. the way it's always been. Yep. Um, this is the way we've all, and it's just, that's just some of the, those are some of the most dangerous words in the human spirit. Um, Number nine starts to get a little less serious. It comes off the the hardest question in the bunch. So number nine is just something that you suck at. And so the whole concept <laughs> here is that, you know, we have a lot of youth too that will go, oh my gosh, these people, they're at this level in, in their life. And so they have finally, they have got it all figured out and they're good at everything. And I'm, you know, we're quick to tell them, look, everybody sucks at a lot of things. Um, so what's something that you're just flat out not good at? <laughs> um, I am not good at juggling priorities. Mm. So uh, this goes back to what we we're saying earlier about momentum and, and moving forward. I, I find myself becoming so uh, fixated on forward momentum yeah. that I let a lot of things drop along the way. And yeah. so, you know, I should be a better dad. I should be a better husband. I should be a better community member. I should be doing more service. Um, and, and that is my struggle is because I have this life calling and I'm so fixated on uh, focusing about it. I am dedicating so much mental energy every day to doing it. Um, it does become hard to juggle. A lot of people yeah. prefer the nine to five because it allows them to just have total, you know, carve out time to to, to do things. And so it's a trade-off, right? For yeah. some people, that's a better uh, decision, but then they miss out on things that as an entrepreneur or as a thought leader, or whatever you can really uh, produce. Uh, none of these is perfect. Uh, again, there are a lot of trade-offs. So for me, I suck at juggling and, and it is difficult. Um, I talk with a lot of like, people on our board and a lot of our supporters are entrepreneurs right. and, uh, you know, small business owners. And it's tough for all of them, right? Because you um, become so obsessed with always thinking about, you know, profit and loss and marketing and, you know, especially during uncertain economic times sure. such as these, uh, it can be all consuming if you let it. And so maintaining that firewall between work and family and so forth is a, a struggle for me. Um, and so, uh, for example, the question I get asked most often than any other question by people who run into me or whatever is, how do you do so much? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I've written 21 <laughs> books. I'm going to write another five books this year. Yeah. Um, you know, we change dozens of laws every year. We do all sorts of other things. And so from the outside, the perception is like, holy moly, like, do you not literally people will say, and I, I'm not fabricating this at all. Yep. At least weekly, I will get someone to say, do you sleep? Yep. <laughs> right. Like that's yep. how they ask the question. Like, Hey, totally. And so, you know, again, from the outside, it's one thing to look and say, and, and yes, I am very productive. I am very hard and fast working. But the thing that I suck at is making sure that while I'm being productive 
and have that forward momentum that I'm not fumbling along the way. Some of the other things in my life. Some of the other things. Yeah. And I think that's, um, I think you would hear that. And like you mentioned from people on the board from people, I mean, I think you hear that from entrepreneurs all around. I mean, that just, we kind of tend to be this hard charging bunch, but then that's the other stuff. And that's why the part, you know, this is a whole different, this is a whole different concept and a whole different show altogether. But I know that's why, I mean, having the right partner is so important too. Yeah. Um, cause my wife's not going to let those little, those little details go and those little pieces, sure. go, you know, so absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really good. So number 10 is, is just kind of the, uh, is sort of the catch all of the most important things. So if you were to, you know, if we were to say, Hey Connor, what is the one thing, if they only remember one thing you say from this podcast, what is the message you want them to take away? Hmm. I would say, so maybe this is a summary, but it also might be a new element. Um, I would say find something you're passionate about and pursue it relentlessly. Um, I, I am drawn to people who are pursuing a cause, who are mission-driven. Even if I don't sympathize with that mission, it's different sure. from my own. Um, I think the world needs a lot more people who are ambitious, mm -hmm. who are pursuing uh, something that they dream about, trying to make the world a better place. I have so much deep personal satisfaction in my life from uh, benefiting other people's lives. The, 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 you know, the commentary I get from parents reading our Tuttle Twins books, for example, talking about the conversations they have with their children that, but for our books would not be happening. Right. And, you know, people three years later saying, my gosh, that, you know, he hasn't read the, the, that one book for three years. He's much older now, but he remembers everything. And we talk about it when we go to the grocery store and just, I have, I have seen so many people's lives improve through our education stuff, through our policy work that if I was still a web developer yeah. building, you know, I, I was paid more, you know, that I had a better salary doing that than I do now. Yeah. Um, and I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the people. It was a good technical challenge, but it was purposeless. I was building random websites yeah. for companies that sold products I didn't care about. And, and again, it, it was good work. Um, I'm, I'm not knocking productive labor at all, but yeah. Um, especially for your audience, yeah. you know, those who are pursuing kind of the act and model things. We're, we're outside of the box thinkers. We're independent minded. We like upending the status quo and finding a better path forward. And so the earlier in life that you can find what your passion is and, and pursue it relentlessly, you're going to help so many other people. And through that, you're going to be so satisfied in your own life. So good, man. That mission that and I'm with you, anybody that's following that mission, whether I agree with the mission or not, when it's so obvious that they're driven by that, um, there's a level of respect there. And I had an interesting conversation with a gentleman. Um, he's a, he's a local guy here, local entrepreneur. Um, he is, he's actually going to be one of our speakers. We're doing TEDx Roseville here in the summer. Um, and he's going to be one of our speakers there. And, um, he's got this super interesting story and the theme of our whole TEDx is the hero's journey. Right. And yeah. so, um, you know, Joseph Campbell's work, yeah. and that's obviously ties directly into, to who we are at Acton. And he kind of had this take on being equally as enamored by the anti-hero. Um, and he used this, um, this, uh, analogy in the conversation that we were having to kind of explain his point, but he was talking about Batman and Joker. And he's like, if you go back and you watch the dark Knight, he's like, people want to watch it for Heath Ledger. And that element of the Joker, he's like, you don't have to agree with what he's doing, but you cannot deny that this guy is absolutely committed to that mission. And he's mm -hmm. more so committed 
than more good people who say they're committed to something. He's right. actually living and breathing that. And you've got to have a respect for that. And it's kind of this anti-hero's journey. And he goes, man, maybe they're the real heroes that we need to take a look at. Um, and it was a very interesting way to look at it, man. But he's, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And that mission-driven person um, changes the world for better or for worse. They change the world better than anybody else. Well, and especially talking about the anti-hero, if, if there are enemies out there, there are people doing bad things who are relentlessly pursuing sure. their agendas. And yep. they are not going to be successfully opposed by you know, summer soldiers, to use Tom Paine's uh, analogy, right? Yes. Uh, yep. They did not defeat the British Army by people who could commit two weeks and then, oh, I got to go back home and, you know, look after the family and stuff, right? We need committed people who care about freedom and free markets and personal responsibility and all the rest to counter the very passionate, full-time, dedicated yeah, right. people who are trying to ruin the world, uh, consolidate power, you know, pursue their own uh, agenda at the expense of everyone else. And so yep. if we only commit part-time or as a hobby, I don't think we're going to collectively come out of this on the right side of things because there are people so organized and uh, dedicated on quote unquote, the other side of things. Beautifully put, man. Beautifully put. So the last one, question 11 is, is anybody else that you would recommend saying, Hey, young people, here's somebody you should take a look at somebody you should be following somebody you should be paying attention to. Um, you know, and I always pose it as like, Hey, if I should invite some other people on the podcast, who would you say it should be? So if there was, um, you already talked about Isaac Morehouse. He was yeah. uh, top of mind for someone I would say, I would say as an organization and, and the people behind it, look into fee. I think all young people need to be nice. following fees yep. website yep. fee.org. It's yep. the foundation for economic education. Yep. They put out a ton of great content for young people, especially uh, to understand to have a kind of an economic way of thinking about things. And that isn't yeah. just I remember in college, I took an economics 101 class, it was the most boring class that I took, awesome. it was all stupid charts and graphs. And, and there was no connection to the real world. This is not that type of economics at all. This is the economics of why humans act the way they do and yeah. making sense of the world around us. And they use like pop culture to kind of analyze things. And it's just, they, they put out a ton of good content. And so to all your listeners, I would say if they're not already, you know, subscribed to their email, checking out their website, um, especially during times such as these, there's a lot of good thoughtful analysis and content being put out there that is going to be very engaging, especially for young people to, to be reading. Really good. And that reminds me too, if you've never seen, um, you probably have, but if you haven't, the Stossel in the classroom, what John puts out. I have. That too. Yeah. He's doing some really good stuff with that too. Yeah. So. Rob Shimenez uh, runs yeah. that behind the scenes. Good yeah, guy. Yeah. Rob's a great guy. Yeah. Super cool. That's awesome, man. So, hey, so where can people tell us about what you've got going on, where people can go to find out um, more about you, more about the Tuttle Twins, what we've got going on here with some with some new books? Yeah. So, so we've got, uh, let's see, 11 books in the children's series for Tuttle Twins. We've got three books in our teenager series. They're based on like the choose your own adventure type uh, storybooks where you can pick different paths in the books. All those can be found at uh, TuttleTwins.com or you can go to TuttleTwins.com slash products to see the full list. We've got a family card game. We've got weekly curriculum for whole families to learn this stuff together in the home. Uh, we're going to be coming out with more books later this year. Just continue. We just came out with a book a few weeks ago based on Human Action by Ludwig von Mises. Nice. And I have to laugh now because the title of the book was uh, rather uh, prescient in a way. It's called The Tuttle Twins and the Messed Up Market. Oh, there and you so, go. Uh, yeah. It's all about, literally, it's about bailouts and subsidies and Time all these things. Not, it could not be better. Exactly. So anyone wondering why things are happening the way they are and what to do about them, you can go check out that latest book. I'm easy to find online, uh, connorboyack.com or just search Connor Boyack. You can 
find me, follow me, reach out. I'd love to connect with any of your audience uh, and, and uh, work together. Awesome, man. So good. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. Absolute pleasure. I was pumped to get to talk to you. And this is, um, I mean, even, even better than I thought it would be. So uh, I very much appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. There you go. The hubby, the dad, the author, the all around good guy, Connor Boyack. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, please, if you did, feel free to share. Please uh, feel free to review. Uh, just spread the word. And again, everything that you're doing here to spread the word just helps all of our kiddos here at Acton Placer and just kids here in the Sacramento area. So appreciate you all listening. We will catch you next time on the Essential 11.